in the shelter in place order, they are talking that you know maybe you can send your kid to daycare again. Oh, really? If you were the twelve people there. Yeah, if you were the twelve kids. Oh so, man, that's gonna save your life, huh? I think so. Well, it's gonna save my job, is what it's going yeah. to do. So wait, what's the I, deal? You can't like record it all during the day now. It's just like it's just the case. It's just really hard. I mean, my son runs. It, well, the thing he likes to do, which is adorable is he likes to imitate me and so he will grab the microphone <laughs> oh, no. and start just saying gibberish into the microphone because this is yeah, this like is yeah like well rid- like father like son right there jesus <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but he's just imitating so this is how it's done you know this is how you be an adult this is how daddy you got does a tiny it. little radio ethan yeah, he just grabs the microphone. He was like, and he puts it, he doesn't quite have it right. He puts it right on his lips. He's just like, he doesn't totally know. And there's really no way to prevent him from doing that. If I'm doing that. And how, yeah. so wait, is this how you've done a bunch of your, have his, has you ambushed a bunch of your promotional podcasts? I've, I've subbed him in for me to, to handle some of the Canadian affiliates. All right. You want to fucking get into this, dude? Oh, yeah. Let's start the podcast. All right. Let's start the fucking podcast. This is Matt and Ethan syncing up. Feels good to be podcasting, Matt. Feels great to be podcasting with you, Ethan. It's just so good to be back here on the cast. It's so good. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Stuff man, uh, podcasting. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, God, Matt. Oh, no, Matt. No, that it's was like, like a, a horse coming sound effect <laughs> that I had. This whole podcast is: Will Matt get Ethan fired in their little hobby podcast on tech and media? That's the and whole this, point of this, right? That's the whole point of podcasting is to get fired or to never get hired again. <laughs> never get hired again podcast featuring Matt and Ethan. Uh, never get hired again. I'm gonna never get hired again. Uh, so uh, call in with your story that'll make sure you're never hired again. Mm-hmm. The book. I want to talk about the book, dude. That's the, the that's kind of the the part of the reason for the season right now, man. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to talk to you about your book. I wrote a book. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought you did a great job. Congratulations you. on your first book, my friend. Thank you. Uh, can you imagine, can you imagine, think back, you know, 15 years, 15, 20 years, uh-huh. uh, could you have imagined that you would have written a book about Kevin Durant and the Warriors? Well, I wouldn't maybe have known who Kevin Durant was. That would have been very perplexing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been very confusing. Um, I, I wouldn't know what the Warriors were. That would have been even more confusing because they were such a bad team. Mm-hmm. They just writing a book in general. I don't know. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, I'm not trying to brag. I don't know maybe men don't read so it might not be that great overall i have no idea yeah, men don't know how to read yeah men don't know how to read I, because i had the number one book best-selling book in sports yeah that's a good way cool. it's like we're negging the listeners into buying your book well <laughs> they don't read so yeah you know yeah buy the book you don't read so you know well no i because i did take it i supplanted at one point Moneyball that week for the best-selling book in sports but i, I Dude, thought to myself planted a 10 year old book that's incredible well that i thought to myself <laughs> uh moneyball was the last time men read a book that was the last time <laughs> it was moneyball last time sports fan man you know and there are a lot of there are a lot of sports fans who do read a lot of the great basketball books that are out there seven seconds or less 
Um, and I really liked uh, Collision Slow Crossers, uh, which was a football don't book. Don't use but... my podcast to curry favor with other fucking basketball authors. I don't give a shit about these stupid <laughs> books. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the for whatever reason, men stopped reading. I think it's because internet porn became a thing. That's my theory. <laughs> that's your theory. They that's all my the theory. Porn hub. Everybody yeah, that's my theory. I mean, prove well, me wrong. Well, prove me wrong. I could read about sports or I could jerk my dick off. <laughs> wow, that second one sounds pretty. Which one will make me come? Oh, the second one. Uh, it could have been much worse, man. You could have been doing a book tour. You could have had to go to all these places and not just talk uh, to people. I could have been doing a book tour before it was obvious that this was a highly communicable disease. And just been <laughs> shaking all the hands and coughing yeah, and all the faces. It. Do you think it would have been yeah. better for your book if you died of COVID or worse? Oh, definitely. Oh my God, probably. Yeah, because it would be uh, you'd be martyred. Yeah, you know. Um, and what would my legacy be? I'm not sure, but you know. <laughs> it, but the depressing thing is, people would talk about it on Twitter in the sports world for a day. And then they would just move on to like the next silly thing the next day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's become very clear to me. I mean, it really shows Twitter is a great reminder of just how ephemeral everything is, including mm. human life. And it really does feel like somebody dying becomes the topic du jour. And then, well, they're no longer the topic, you know, maybe if it's a Kobe Bryant thing, then it lingers a little bit and people, People compete in their grieving, but for the most part, um, no, it's just on to the next thing. Like, oh, Robin Williams died. Oh, this headline in the New York Post is so mean about him. Uh, boycott them. Oh, well, but, next uh, thing. but I guess, well, two things. One, like, is that Twitter? Is that just people for one? Because like, also, like, I don't know. How long are we supposed to like linger in these moments just generally? I mean, you're you're supposed to think about every 80-something your old celebrity who dies for at least a month. You got to sit Shiva for every, every <laughs> yeah, celebrity who dies. Shiva? Speaking of sitting Shiva, your hair is getting wildly Jewy, my friend. I mean, oh, look really? at this. It's yeah, look at your hair. It's yeah, it's curls. going all curly. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, Allie wants to cut my hair, and why not? Who cares? Fine. Cut it. If that, that, I guess if it, it makes affects her, happy. her more than anybody. Yeah, if it makes her happy. Whatever makes... Hey, you know what I say? Happy wife, happy life. Happy life. I always happy, say that. You know? Yeah, yeah. What's good for the goose? I feel like it's good for the that's game. like a slate thing where it's like, you know, it's actually inversely correlated. And they ran a study and it's actually the more miserable <laughs> your wife is, the happier you are. Men <laughs> love it when their fish. wife is miserable. There's nothing <laughs> nothing gives a man more pleasure than when his wife is found out to be wrong about something. If I get to tell uh, my, and I told you so? Oh my god. <laughs> I can tell my wife so. Oh. I feel like with Allie um she's right most of the time so it feels like a a little giants i this is the one time i win um and what is this rooted is this like is this important for our like credibility within the marriage like credibility well that's the thing who like leads well this is the thing that i learned from living with you is that i when i famously ate the hummus that you didn't want me to eat all Mm -hmm. of the hummus i Learn the lesson because I was immediately defensive when you confronted me about it. <laughs> and then I realized that there's no high court that will descend and decide this and will go, mm-hmm. Ethan, Matt said that you could have the hummus. He didn't articulate the exact amount and therefore he cannot be angry. 
Like that, that, that would not happen. So all that matters is my friend is mad at me. I have transgressed. And so yeah. I should apologize. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think a lot of people use this. I'm going to set this up because we use this. So when Ethan and I lived together, my, my girlfriend's mother at the time gave me a huge tub of homemade hummus. Like one of, think of like one of the larger, like rectangular Tupperware things full of hummus. And it was like way more than I was ever going to eat. And so I told Ethan, hey, man, yeah, please have some of this. And then like a day or two later, I was like looking to have some hummus and it was all gone. Ethan had eaten all of the hummus. <laughs> like a little, <laughs> the, a little hummus smeagle. Basically, <laughs> 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 you came home I and like, I, was, Ethan, I was shirtless, hunched over. Like, <laughs> basically, like just hummus crumbs, like goops <laughs> sitting everywhere. It's like, Ethan, what happened to the hummus? Like, you said I could have it. Have it. You could have some. I mean, it wasn't in my wildest dreams. Imagine that you were the type of golem who would eat all of them. But then Ethan refused to apologize. Mm. For, for years. Time. For years, Ethan refused to apologize. For years? For years, Ethan refused You're changing to the story now. When, do you remember what apologized? Have you ever still – you've apologized for this. We've at least that would talked be fu- about it. That would be funny if I was referencing apologize. this incident as when I learned maturity, but I never actually apologized <laughs> never for it. Actually. I was like, then I realized that, you know, what you what you got to do is you got to apologize. You know, that's when I realized it. I mean, I never <laughs> did it, but that's when I realized that was the thing to do. <laughs> no, I apologized. You apologized. I, I did apologize, yeah, yeah. and I learned a good lesson, but I think a lot of people go through life assuming there's a high court that's going to descend and actually validate their grievance. Mm. And that's just not, that's not ever going to happen. Um, no, no, nothing matters. In the, in the words yeah. of Andre Iguodala, nothing matters. Oh, you remember that. <laughs> none of it matters. I none think is what he matters. said. None that's my matters. favorite part of the book is him saying like, Andre none is, of it matters. Hey, that guy's the best, dude. He <laughs> Isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he's the best, dude. Andre Gadala, like, oh, make the Hall of Fame. I give a speech. Then there's some other motherfucker. <laughs> and then there's another motherfucker after that. And there's another motherfucker after that. None of it. None of it matters. <laughs> what matters to Andre Gadala though? Something has to matter. Otherwise, why isn't he off himself? The way he would describe it, and I should have put a little bit more of this in the book, is he's chasing, in the way surfers chase the perfect wave, and they're addicted mm-hmm. to it. He's ch- he's chasing that just perfect sequence of play where everything's clicking and they're all sharing the ball. Mm-hmm, That's the, the nerve. Yeah, he's chasing a flow state. This is how mm-hmm. he would describe it. I don't think it's totally true. I think he likes some of the accomplishments and and all yeah. that. But that yeah, that's but how he would understand that. That's how he would characterize it. Does he do you think he achieves that on a regular basis? How often how often do you think that basketball players really achieve like the the true like ecstasy of play? There was uh, in the second half of one of the finals games. Um, I think it might have been game, might have been game two. He said that he was getting the the they had a great run in the second half where they were playing defense and sharing the ball. And he said, "You get this feeling of oh, we're doing it. It's happening. Like here we go. It's happening." And I I think with this Warriors team, it happened more frequently than almost any other team. And for him, it was a collective flow state. Like, that's what he was chasing. It wasn't about him being in the zone. It was everybody clicking. And it, it happened. It, I think it happens. It's just not an all-game thing. It, it's like during a run. It might be during a quarter, at best a half. And 
if you're on a good team, maybe it's once every three games. I'm just throwing a guess out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'd be well because, like, I you know, not to be like, but like you know, doing. I chase that a lot doing like improv or do it or like in a writer's room, you like trying yeah. to chase those highs a little bit when everybody is like riffing and everybody is like getting into something. And like the moments that I remember, like the best moments of my career, like in my mind, the things that I'm chasing are moments like that, but they aren't that frequent. Like when yeah. it's like really when like, it's really those like fucking like, Holy shit, this is why I do this. Holy shit. This is so fucking funny. Holy shit! Like, how do we capture this and put it in a show or do something with it? We, and we it actually like isn't that teamwork. often. Teamwork, yeah, yeah, totally. Teamwork's incredible. Just mm-hmm. you know, it's the principle of many many hands makes the work light, but it also opens you up to things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. I mean, it is it it does it does have a an almost hallucinogenic perspective altering effect on you that's that's definitely something to chase that's the right thing to chase but it's also something that doesn't it doesn't necessarily sustain one's individual life happiness even if sometimes you achieve it but it's something that you would reorient your life around to try to catch to try to like keep getting and to get as frequently as possible yeah i suppose because that's what surfers do that's what andre does that's what people who do a lot of these kind you know i think musicians like you know i and like there's like varying degrees of it right i'm sure he gets like a little bit of it or something comes together or you can like approximate it but also the bar for it probably gets higher and higher like what it yeah. like would he have been able to achieve one of those states in just a regular game or does it take the pressure of a playoff or like finals to even really get to that state like does mm. it feel that much better to get into that flow that collective flow when it's in the finals when it's like everything i always felt that the warriors got to a level of good to where kind of like in the pawnbroker where he stabs himself in the hand just to feel something that they would like they would put themselves in a painful backs to the wall situation mm-hmm. just to just to, to heighten it all and just to get to, out of it yeah just to get out of it it's like and, ann coulter that's what we always talk about with ann coulter that's, like that's she, ann coulter that's what ann coulter is <laughs> it's she, like ann, i'm convinced that ann coulter's whole deal is that she <laughs> just loves arguing and so she like takes the most indefensible position <laughs> because she just needs the high of arguing her way out of it somehow we, we should make it clear that you you did a show on comedy central that was on where we we saw her i was in the studio audience where you did it was moshe Kasher's show problematic and she was on she was a fascinating performer to watch just do her thing it was fascinating it really really was wild yeah yeah but that's what it felt like it was like she was just taking positions that like nobody no reasonable person would ever do because to her this was like this was nothing going on this show like what does she give a shit i just remember her um really cutting into lucian what's his last name um, Lucian Wintrich, sort of this foppish, uh, kind of cartoonish young guy, the who, poor man's Milo, who was obviously drunk, and I think she resented that he was her ally on the stage in a way, and yeah. sort of a youthful usurper who wasn't taking the performance seriously, and she kept cutting into him with little barbs in the breaks, and um, really seemed to have more enmity towards him than any liberal in the audience. Um, yeah, you said it back. So I remember afterwards you were like, she was sunning him yeah. during the, during the break. She was like telling him how to behave and what to do so that he wouldn't continue to embarrass her. Yeah. And embarrass himself. Right. Um, and the and- movement. Don't embarrass the movement. (laughs) All right, fuck it. Let's get into this shit. We were just about to get into the podcast last time we were talking. But Ethan, I decided I'm going to change my tack. 
Mm. Uh, before I like it was so, it was like we got one question in basically before this, mm. but it felt weird. And correct me if I'm tell tell me if this is wrong. It felt weird for me to ask you a question about your book. It huh. it felt weird to me because it felt like I was just like interviewing you about your book. Yeah. And although obviously when we have conversations, I ask you questions. It felt like I had this like formulated question that I was asking well, you to it, respond well, and, to. And, and I'm going through almost, and I'm almost going through a press junket esque thing. Right. And so you, one of my dearest friends in the world, became somebody on the junket. And tour, I just suddenly felt that way. And it was weird. Even as I was asking it, I felt like a load of baggage that's on you right now answering these questions. Mm. I suddenly felt it load on to me in this mm. weird way. And I, I immediately was like, Oh no, I don't want this. I don't like yeah. this. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Instead. I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you what I thought. And then I oh. want you to react. Okay. Because I okay. think that's no. more, us you know what hell yes hell yes to that i i just like a just having some of the pressure taken off me i do enjoy the interviews by the way where people read the book because we can talk about certain things mm -hmm. and ideas but the worst is when they haven't and just talk about it and explain what it's about and those are terrible. You just feel like you're doing all the lifting and you've mm. done it before. Yeah. And also, but we're not too, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about tech and we're going to talk about other things and we're going to talk about the book from that perspective, I assume. But I like this, Matt. I'm excited cool. about this. All right, cool. Then uh, as long as it doesn't offend you, I'm going to immediately tell you why, how, how wrong you were. <laughs> no, I'm actually not at all. I'm going to base more. It's like these are some of the observations I had. And I want to kind of mm. like bounce them off you and see what you thought about them. So the one of the bigger overarching things that I was thinking while reading the book, uh, and especially uh, as you just said, we're going to kind of like focus, I think, on like some of the tech and social media stuff like that. But I, uh, the thing, and we've talked a lot about this before because it, it's so interesting, right? But Adam Silver kind of talking about how he notices how depressed players are now. Yeah. partially because young people are more depressed right now. I think a lot of it having to do with social media is just depressing all of us. But I kind of have this like bigger notion that I, I that was to me a big thing that social media is doing as it's flattening out everything and flattening out the importance of all the things that we do, you know, destroying publishing, you know, destroying other taking up space for all other forms of media and other forms of attention, grabbing things to exist is I think it's the great institution destroyer. It's undermining our institutions. So the, the metaphor that I use a lot is that, uh, you know, it's salting the ground. It's making it so that no other institutions can grow unless those institutions are on their, on those platforms. But then by necessity, they're owned. You know what I mean? It's not an independent shop. It's you're just, your website is twitter.com slash, you know, Ethan Strauss or Sherwood Strauss mm -hmm. or whatever you decided to pick. Uh, whatever I was at the time. So, yeah. uh, and that's appended to me forever. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Sure would. I remember when you did that. It was really funny. Uh, so, <laughs> I thought it was funny too. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so anyway, and so what I wonder is, is social media even undermining the institution that is the NBA that yes. is the national basketball association? Yes. Yes. 
uh, a thousand times. Yes. And so then when I'm going to kind of move, if this is true, then that is true. Uh, so if that institution now is looning, is losing part of its meaning, right? When you're undermining an institution, I think part of it is you're undermining its meaning. You're undermining its importance. Mm. You're undermining all the things that go into an institution, which are things like memory, Holy you know, belonging, shit. things like that. And if you, I, 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 I don't want to interrupt. Sure. I, I, I'm sorry, because you're, you're on a roll. I mean, this is fascinating to me because you're articulating something and people have a sense of it who are in the world and criticize things the NBA is doing, but you don't care at all about the NBA. No. You don't pay attention well, to the NBA. I care about you and I care about the thing you're interested in. Yeah. yeah. And I watch but basketball. It's, I, fun. I, I feel like you're having a profound insight about something that you don't observe and don't give a shit about. No, I, because I think is this is what's happening to everything. And so if this mm. is true, then that is true. Then it's happening. Then my guess is that it's also happening to NBA. I mean, this is the main criticism you can levy on me and my friends and loved ones do, which is that I'm always on my same shit. But I think this is what I'm seeing. And this is what I, I see around me. So to, to keep going with this, if we are you know, undermining, pulling the, the soy, the foundation out from under the NBA, uh, and we're taking away its meaning, then we're, what we're also doing is that the, we're making it so that the people who are a part of that institution are losing the opportunity to share the meaning that it once had. So if the NBA had all this meaning and importance that was an institution, then being a part of it also imparted that belonging and meaning and all those things onto you as a player. But as we undermine the importance of that institution, it also means there's less of that meaning to go to the people, the players who are a part of it. And I'm wondering if that is what is depressing, this lack of meaning that and not only that, the deficit of meaning but between what they might have gleaned from I, NBA I love, in the '90s and early 2000s and now. I love how you're putting it because it is getting denuded of of meaning. Um, it feels less meaningful, and that observation feels especially poignant now because right now, uh, ESPN's running the Last Dance documentary, mm -hmm. a ten part series on Michael Jordan's last season with the Chicago Bulls. It's getting tremendous ratings and people are really juiced on it and into it. And it feels like a dispatch from another era mm. where it meant something more, right? where it just had more meaning. And a lot of it's constant. A lot of the issues that befall a team, battles of ego, feeling that you don't get enough credit, all that stuff, uh, it, it, it was always thus. right? But the NBA feels bigger more serious, more gravitas. And, you know, that's not an easy thing to accomplish in a way because you perceive sports as silly and it is silly. It's throwing a, an orb at a ring. Well, it's funny because I know. perceive sports as meaningless, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so but, already but, I'm starting from a low bar, but, but yes. no, but I, I, that, that's a joke. Like I understand the metaphor that is sports and why we like watching people perform the best they can at a, at a discreet task yeah. and why it's impressive and cool and, and, and shared memories. Oh yeah. And, and, and just and culture. like having, sh having shared memories. Right. Right. Um, and you know, we're all reliving that and there's a profound nostalgia for it and something was lost along the way. It's not like that anymore. You know, people might think that, and you, know, you always hear that criticism. I'm getting sick of that criticism. I'm getting sick of it. I'm getting sick of the idea that, 
an old person critiquing modern culture is always wrong. Right. Is always yeah, wrong. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, true. I, it's it, tough it, because it's, that's what an old person would say, but no, but it also, it's like kind of a, a, a it's like a smoke screen. It, it, it can, I feel like, cause if it actually is getting worse, the, the places, the institutions that are existing, yeah. social media, you know, t- Twitter, Facebook, you know, these companies can hide behind it. They can gaslight us into thinking yes. that like, Oh no, this is what like, old people oh, always said. Yeah, you know, people are always resisting, you know, the future, mm-hmm. and they're always luddites, right. and you know, that's you know, you will, you know, in the future, people will see that this was actually they'll be saying that this was so great and this was the height of everything. I, I just don't think that's the case. Things decline, you know, as we were saying before. Um, there aren't many people who think that the music of the 1980s was better than the music of the 1960s, especially in culture things decline. The film culture of the 1970s is better sure, also, than the film culture of right now. a lot of people think that, and I would, you know, the music of the 90s is generally perceived as better than the music of the 80s. Yes. Right? Like, the 80s yeah. was a bit of a lull. Like, there are lulls. <laughs> I just want us to get to a place where we can say that things can improve or get worse, um, and there's not necessarily a trajectory upward no matter what. Mm. And um, I think that we've been locked into that just because perhaps because the boomers were so influential in culture and they were beating back against a lot of the wrong opinions of their of their parents. And so uh, we have we have now imbibed this sense of the young people are always right. The old people are always wrong. And now old people have absorbed that sensibility and they're so diffident in their opinions and they couch it and they go, I know I sound like an old man when I say it. I know I like, you know what? Fuck that. Things get worse. A lot of things get worse. You know, and like there, obviously there's rose colored glasses and whatever, all this shit. But like, I think that we can like, I think we can discreetly say that institutions and and this isn't crazy. This is what a lot of these companies set out to do was to get rid of the gatekeepers. Well, it was to yeah. get rid of institutions because for a long time we believed institutions were bad. I really love that movie Cabin in the Woods. Did you ever see that movie Cabin in the Woods? I did not. It's see, a really great movie. movie. It's, uh, Joss Whedon uh, made it. Uh, I think he co-wrote it. But it's it's like kind of takes on like horror tropes. But it has a very interesting ending that I remember when I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about because they kind of let the bad guys win in it. But kind of mm. p- part of it is this message of like, well, fuck it, the old thing sucked. So why don't we tear it down and see what happens? Like these old institutions, these yeah. old tropes, these old cliches. And I remember being, you know, in my young, in my early twenties and like believing that and believing that institutions yeah. had failed us, the wire, right. Famously about how institutions fail everyone involved. We were like pretty down on institutions and now we're kind of reaping what we sowed because we've made these institution destroying machines, the most efficient ones in history. And a lot of shit sucks. A lot of things, it's yep. making things suck more. And I, and I, my metric for this that I was thinking about, or I don't know if it's a metric, but I, it's like one day when somebody does finally have the fucking balls to break up these companies and to do it, mm-hmm. it's, and, and like media can, like the flowers of like media can once again, you know, of, of culture and of creativity can once again like flower from, from the, the soil. Uh, it's going to feel great. And it, this is, we're going to look back on this and be like, this fucking sucks. We finished out memes. We can't do any more. I'm not so sanguine about um, about 
doing that. You know, I fear unintended consequences, but I just think it's worth at least observing that certain things have gotten worse. So we know that we're what, what we're dealing with and certain things have gotten better as well. You know, if we're going, if we're taking it back to the NBA. The players of today are bigger, faster, and stronger than the players in the late mm-hmm. 80s and the 90s. They are better basketball players. The difference is that the meaning isn't there right. like it, it which was. Is such, which is it's, even more it's tragic. A, it's a dearth of meaning attached to all of this. And I think social media, the growth of social media, plays a role combined with ABC, Disney, really getting into a very low attention span way of trying to communicate with the fans. And in some ways, I think underestimating the intelligence of the fans Mm -hmm. and trying to wring whatever content it can out of the Twitter conversation, using Twitter as a producer to produce their segments. Um, This is the race to the bottom that also that these platforms facilitate in media is that it is just a race to like the lowest production because Twitter is a platform that sucks everyone dry. It's an infinite feed. And when I was on Ben Thompson's podcast, I thought he made a good observation that ESPN spends so much money on getting these sports games. So they're not making the money off selling those ads. They're making the money off having these various sports talk shows where they debate the latest Twitter controversy of the day. And my view of that is that they're making withdrawals, not investments. Yeah. 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 You know, this sort of aggregation of, these are quick highs. Yeah. These are quick highs versus the old stodgy NBC sports of the 1990s, which had a magnificent artistry. And even you probably know about the NBA and NBC theme song, sure. the the famous John Tesh theme song. And they would do these ba- uh, basketball, the basketball, <laughs> the basketball <laughs> They would. Yeah, dude, I before, love that. Before the, but da, 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 before that, they would do these sepia uh, introductions with, um, you know, momentous music and crescendos where Marv Albert or Bob Costas, just a, a professional broadcaster would set up the game just filled with gravitas, taking the medium seriously, really setting up why you should pay attention. You know, slow motion, maybe J- Michael Jordan stumbling and the other team winning and celebrating. And, you know, will Michael do it again? His legacy on the line next from Chicago, it's the NBA on NBC, and they lead into the intro. Now, I, the last great finals, or maybe the last great series in the NBA, was the 2016 seven game tilt between the Warriors and the Cavs, where the Cavs famously came back from 3 1 and beat the 73 win Warriors. And I was covering those games, I was at those games. Those games felt those games had tremendous meaning. They were epic. If in the building, they were epic. In the building. I have this powerful memory of before game six, I was in Cleveland and there's like a lot of pain and angst and there's a lot of nervous energy there where they could be eliminated. And I'm in I'm I'm just on the concourse and in Cleveland they play Phil Collins in the air of the night as the intro sort of pump up song with the lights out and everything else. And I'm just watching old black concession uh, concessioneers just belting out the lyrics. <laughs> and there's just a tremendous energy in the building. And so this is all very epic and important. And I was talking about it with the, uh, these calves, uh, these calves podcasters, because they, they did a thing with me where we watched a game from 2016 from that last great series. And what I didn't know 
because my experience of it was epic, was that the TV product was pretty cheap and shitty, mm. and it wasn't actually communicating the level that this was getting to. And the intro song for ABC ESPN, uh, it wasn't that NBA and NBC intro. It was actually The Roots, a great band, but they were doing some weird number two themed song where it was like two two games and the Cavs will win a championship two Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving is the number two like they shit. were half yeah some chintzy shit <laughs> they were half assing it this was just a, a paycheck for them it was somebody at a studio going oh the roots are hot the young people they like the roots let's have the, the roots, roots do this song I mean, they're great for an open air concert. We had a great time at Rock the Bells uh, at at that at that Roots concert, but Sousaphone. it's not it's it's not doing the thing of bringing meaning. It's just yeah. try to entertain people. They had you know at one point they had Pitbull do a a song uh, you know for the playoffs, and it was that I can't even remember which Pitbull song it was, but it's like ah, this is what's hot. Yeah. This is what the kids well, like. You know, and it's not an investment. They're not doing, they're not investing in making the thing feel like it actually matters. And I don't know how that connects to the the technology. Maybe it's just a lament about, um, you know, Disney. I I don't know, but it's just an observation about how wayward this all gets and how it starts, it starts drifting from its original mission. Um, It starts drifting. Yeah, and I see that. And, you know, I, I do, you know, I do want to make sure we're not just talking because like there is a way of like nostalgia making things seem good when they actually were just as bad or whatever. And, but I do think that like, you know, once fewer people care about something, fewer people care about something, fewer people care about something. And, but to me, what I want to hone in on are the players, because no matter what for them, the game should you know, it's the most important thing. And for them, it's a job. And for them, you know, they feel differently about basketball. But this thing this that sticks with me, right, is, you know, Andre Iguodala thinking, like, who gives a shit about giving a Hall of Fame speech? You know, none of this just means anything. What did he say? None of, the, none of this matters? Yeah, none of it matters. None of it, none matters. Of it matters. You know, there's just, you're just that replaced sense. with some other And, mother you know, I, I love that. And I think it's great. And I think he's right. And I think it's hilarious. But I, you know, I think it's not a good idea if like everyone feels that way, kind of. No. Because somebody, you know, you need the contrarians, but you also need the mainstream. You need the Spielberg in order to be like, ah, Spielberg sucks. I fucking love me some David Lynch. You know, you wouldn't yeah. have, you need well, that I, thing to it, react to. That, that's a, another great insight. I mean, LeBron James is this show called The Shop mm, where mm-hmm. he invites his celebrity friends and they talk about whatever and anthony davis young superstar who lebron brought on to the lakers uh through a series of awkward maneuvers um was on the shop and anthony davis is a great player but he played in new orleans he doesn't have much of a personality he's a big man so they don't resonate the same way and he was talking about how he finally learned to view himself as a corporation oh, and man. view himself as a business. Right. Thank you. LeBron. And you taught me. He, he knew that he, he knew that he was in control. And I thought to myself, you know, the league is OK if LeBron feels that way about himself. It's probably not in the best shape if every star is talking like right. this and viewing themselves as individual corporations. Uh, that's that's probably not what's wanted what what what's wanted is some of what you see in the Jordan documentary where there are two teams who for a moment even though it's business feel like feuding families and feel i hate those guys yeah. on the other team we have a bond we're fighting for something and pulling in the same direction versus the modern atomization where players 
are miserable and are constantly trying to change teams because they're not they're not they're not scratching whatever itch. Yeah, the, well, the have. thing you've got a quote in there, right? Championships are one on the bus. That was like the old way that people used to think about it, right? That yeah. that it was about the team and it was about the chemistry and it was about all that sort of stuff. And the and the worry is that to me, well, it's also because literally in the NBA they would they would play games on the bus before it got big, man. Before it got <laughs> oh, big, right, right, right. Yeah, the, that's why the court is. <laughs> you totally is misunderstood long. what the oh, you totally misunderstood oh, what the sorry. quote was yeah, about. It was a traveling circus. <laughs> it was actually P.T. Barnum would uh, would drive a traveling bus. <laughs> Barnstorming. Yeah, the original tall man was a giraffe. <laughs> uh, but they all got sick but it, sorry <laughs> they, the pick and rolls they would fucking snap their necks on the pick and rolls uh the, so uh, thinking about twitter and trying to find meaning in twitter and and i it, it made me wonder is it better to think of twitter as a parasite is twitter mm. like um like a tapeworm that like you know how tapeworms like live in your gut and they eat your food and like a symptom of, of having a, a tapeworm is that you're always hungry because the worm is eating your food. And, and, it, it, and I, and for these guys, is it, is it, is the feeding on Twitter, this kind of thing is social media addiction enough, even among NBA players that it, you know, works the same as it does on a lot of people, which is it's, it's this endless feed, that, that, but your that, appetite that is never seem- satiated. But that, that that seems a little ungenerous just because people do have professional connections that they make on Twitter and um, learn things on Twitter and share valuable information on Twitter. And it was some of the, the weird people on Twitter who were ahead of the curve uh, on the pandemic and what it might mean versus a lot of people in the aforementioned institutions who are completely blind. So I, I wouldn't just say that it's completely parasitic. Um, I think there's a lot going on. There's a lot. Well, people good, did. So apparently, you know, tapeworms apparently cl- like cure people's allergies. You, you okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Sometimes people give themselves tapeworms in order. I, to- I didn't, I didn't, expect that I would be unfair to tapeworms in this podcast. <laughs> well, but point. is it, but, but this idea that their appetite can never be satiated. It, is it mm-hmm. accelerating in a way that, I mean, you know, Jordan, Michael Jordan was a famously unhappy man with his own, yeah. like uh, gambling addictions and problems and, you know, all that sort of shit. Like, was he, are players really that much more unhappy? And if so, is a lot of it because of their own social media addictions or is it because they have a lack of control over their brands and their identities? Or is it really just this thing of the institution that they've pledged their lives to is losing meaning, perhaps because of all those things also? I think that they're more unhappy than they were in the past. And that uh, that is undermining the meaning, but it's, it's both like them being unhappy undermines the thing of meaning uh, because they at least need to be perceived mm. as happy. And on top of the world, that's part of, you know, they, we, we're, we're kind of, they're sort of heroes, you know, that's kind of their thing. That's sort of what they're doing for little children all around. And if they're transparently miserable, uh, that's, that's not, that's not what we're into. That's not what we want. Um, and you know, they're on, it, it is a cycle. It's like their unhappiness, uh, seeps meaning from the endeavor and the endeavor is losing meaning in other ways, which helps make them less happy because, you know, they're so cynical. You know, how could they possibly think that they're a part of something bigger than themselves and something that matters? Um, and it's just all about feeding the ego and it's all about ephemera. And 
Uh, I think that it's it's in a nasty tailspin that way. And I think that, and I think I'm right, but sometimes, Matt, I wonder if if we're the ones who are wrong. And that, um, I mean, I'm, I mean this generally, that we're a little bit declinist about what social media is doing to people and how they're thinking um, and the, the culture's overall health. Um, and sometimes I wonder if, Everybody else, these things that I view as unhealthy expressions of the culture, these things, the, the ways in which people are kind of living online, how LeBron James is doing all this stuff with his family that he is presenting as a product to entertain everybody that I almost recoil from. Maybe we're just not adjusting quick enough and we're not ahead of the curve and that everybody else just senses this is what culture is now. This is how it goes. Um, and they're actually quite content. I mean, I don't want to, well, get are too... we, so this is something that I believe is happening in my profession and entertainment mm -hmm. in general, which is that we're ending up with like the writers, the performers, the like people creating your culture, I think are increasingly also going to be the people who are best at promoting themselves, you know, yes. because that they're the ones that are getting popular on these mediums because that's, and those mediums, if they're important are the ones that are growing in, you know, importance. And we're going to end up, we're not going to like, there's, we're excluding any brilliant writer who also isn't interested or good at self-promotion. Right. Yes. And I wonder, yeah. and becoming the brand that they are. And, and the ways you self-promote, I think are not the ways that you, act as a regular human being. I mean, I'm doing a ton of self-promotion right now, so maybe it's... Yeah, but there's kind of a but lane. But I'm, not, but I'm not actually good at it. I'm not sure, actually But also, good like, we create lanes for people like you to do that. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, set well, ways I'll, I'll, to I'll, do it in a way that, like, you have some control over what interviews you, you, and things you, you, you know do. You know what, Matt? I, I'll give you an example of something I saw, and I don't know if you saw it, and we might even pause so you can watch it, but there was this viral, I think, very staged um, retelling of uh, a, a dating a new, uh, you know, uh, uh, dating somebody in quarantine or dating a new person in quarantine uh, from an influencer, I think a, a photographer. Um, and I, I viewed it as something that is almost archetypal. It made me want to wretch and I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about it. And so I think it was something called dating a quarantine cutie, something oh, like that. Do you want to pause and watch oh this God. just so you can? All right. All right. All okay. Right, hold on. It's just, if I Google this dating, a quarantine, dating, a quadriplegic, dating, a quadriplegic <laughs> man, dating, that, Aquarius, that, dating, Aquarius, man, dating, a guarded man, dating, a guarded girl. I'm going to find it. Cutie. Yeah. Oh God. <sighs> Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> does, here's so, how I feel. Does about that it. make you want? To, does that make you want to drink poison? Here's how I feel about videos like that. And videos like that have existed for a long time on the internet. Well, let's set let's set it up first. Let's set yeah, it up. It's like first. a cute video where it's like a TikTok that where I mean I don't know if it was even actually a TikTok, but then he posted it on Twitter and that's where it went viral. Maybe it was viral on TikTok also. But where he like sends a drone to ask out a girl across the street on like a Brooklyn roof for a date and then they like go on a date and then he meets her up in a bubble. But uh, the thing <laughs> no, like viral videos and things like that have existed for a long time. And a lot of people mm. like them. 
And in, in some ways, it actually was like refreshing to me to see like a classic, cheesy, shitty like web video that was like mm. where it was like too sincere. So by you appreciated half, the effort. Too earnest you by should, half. You appreciated. No, well, look, it, yeah, I you, think you, that people yeah. should be allowed to make those kinds of things. I think 100% yeah. people should be allowed to make those kinds of things. What I don't like. It's when we start gearing our platforms and businesses and the, the resources to making things so that things like that are what proliferate. And then the things that I think are cool <laughs> do not. That's what I don't well, like. Me, I think it takes all kinds. I think it's wonderful for there to be yeah, yeah. a wide variety of web videos. What I don't like is when like the niches that I like are the are not also uh, like able to proliferate and exist or get the resources. I, I agree with all of that, but I, I, I don't think I, but I, but I think you're not, you're not studying this. You're not studying this properly. You're sort of saying that, Oh, this is a cultural artifact. People are, you know, people are, I'm looking at it as a cultural artifact. I'm looking at it as, 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 as being redolent of something that there is the narcissism, the narcissism of him talking about yeah. himself. He's wooing yeah. this woman with the drone. Yeah. We don't know shit about her. We don't know shit about this woman at all. That, that is not the focus. The focus is on it's this immodest. guy and his cute, <laughs> his cute, clever little ploys. It's all staged, by of the way. Of course, it's all, it's all staged. Fake. And it's all fake. And, and it's, it's presented as real, which is, which is, which, and it's presented as real, which is also very much of this era. It's got the fucking millennial patois of "I still had to shoot my shot" and just these little phrases that people seem to adopt <laughs> that don't seem very authentic. Um, and, it's just lame. It's lame uh, bullshit made by lame yeah. fucking losers. But like, but it's it's insanely right, viral. Sure, like it, it was it, it was it went insanely viral. And uh, but it's also I mean it's kind of of the moment and zeitgeisty and 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 in in, in the, the thing about it most of all, which I think is emblematic of the era, Matt, is how cheery it is amid not a cheery thing <laughs> yeah you know? but you know maybe because that's you're always something because, because, you're, like about because you're always presenting like kind of on instagram you're always presenting yeah, like yeah, how what gets you know, me is though is like, like the cloying nature of these kinds of things and again i think people like this should be allowed to make shit whatever do whatever the fuck you want but what i don't i to me it feels like more and more culture is dictated by people who are also able to turn brand, like themselves into brands and that's what i'm saying okay so let me get you know i need to get yeah, it all out i need to get it all out and we get I watch something like this and I think to myself, I do not like this person. I would not like this person in real life. This is a level of narcissism that is insane to me. It's insane to document all of the things you're doing in pursuing a date. You know, that's, that's, it's really weird in, in this case, I think contrived, but it's, it's, it's narcissistic. It's just, there's something about it that I find to be off but it's insanely viral, and this guy is very successful. And yeah, but you're also it. like this guy's and probably maybe, some sort of predator. <laughs> I, I I don't even know. I don't want to go there. But but I, I I look at it as Matt. Is this? Are we just overthinkers? No, no. no and a lot no. of these people, Here, they let, just well, get me... they get with it. Like you know what I always remember, Matt. You know what I always remember. Always remember, and I don't want to. You can cut that. You can cut this. You can cut this if you want to cut this. Mm. But I remember when we were in high school mm. and you felt a certain way watching your prom date and her friends <laughs> uh, dancing 
to the window to the wall and like in the way you see now it was like very pre-tiktok because t- tiktok you'll see people, yeah there was a viral you know, cutie like doing cutie viral dances to just depraved like sex acts in the lyrics but you know they, they were doing like to the window to the wall till the sweat trips down my balls and they were doing a little waterfall with their hands and you were just going, uh, you know, and, it, and and to be clear, if they were doing it with a sense of irony, I think you would have been totally charmed. No, no, but, they, I think but you there was been, no that, sense that, like, but they, they, they were just sort of, is that they, there's a large they, set of testicles above you <laughs> and the sweat is dripping down your face. but they were just miming it kind of thoughtlessly and it just seems like there are people who can just kind of get a sense of where the culture is where it's going perform the culture well and maybe we're just not people who can do that and that's that's also something that's that's happening right now we're reviewing these people who portray themselves as brands as in my opinion the freaks they are but maybe they're just normies and we're the Yeah, freaks. no, but they're That's normies and normies saying. are fine. But like, I think that like most artists, most great artists are not normies. And if all we're doing is giving all of our cultural cachet and literal like monetary cachet to fucking normie narcissists, then we're not going to get the really good shit from like the fucking like freaks and the like, you know, the, the, the people who just more introverted writers from people who just aren't performative, who are observing life from different perspectives or who just like, don't want to, who the thing, the thing that they want to present doesn't work by being presented that way. I, I I am. You want to talk about some hypocrisy, by the Uh, way, look at me, somebody who has made myself a character in my own book. Decrying the narcissism, <laughs> no, but like it's of this, yeah, but it's this, uh, but successful. But, but it's like a, uh, yeah, sure, but yeah, whatever. Well, you get it. There's people who get it, and there's people who not. This is the oldest shit. <laughs> you get it or you don't. Uh, but but here, but let me let me bring us back because here's a question yes, for I'm you. I'm sorry, and I, even though I promised there weren't questions, but this is are there? No, do you think there are? Pl- do you think that? this focus on becoming your own brand is going to impact the level of play and the level of quality in the NBA, be that either uh, individual players succeeding who maybe shouldn't be just because they're much better at building their own brand or not allowing uh, being so individualistic that teams don't perform together as well. If they're made up of all these collective atomized, as you point out brands. Um, I think that they can still perform because the, the, the goal is still to win and that that I don't think that has changed too much. So I think the quality of play is mostly untouched. Certain people get famous for stupid reasons. Often they play for the Lakers and they date a Kardashian. Um, and there are certain incentives to wanting the shot or wanting to play a certain way. And, and that all exists. But it's really more the teams themselves aren't making the players happy and the teams themselves then don't get to uh, simmer and stew and evolve and they just get broken up quickly because players are looking around, they're going, I'm not getting as much out of this situation as this situation is getting from me. I'm out. I'm chasing this thing. I'm trying to fill this void in my soul and I'm not getting into this new place I, I, I wound up at. Okay, well, I'm going to try the next place. I'm going to try the next place. It's less that it's hurting the level of actual play on the court, and it's more that it's making every situation more short-term 
which taking it back to our theme deprives it of meaning well but but you know? but if, if this is ephemeral what is ephemeral is less meaningful typically yeah. unless it's somebody shooting you dead you know that tends to have a you know okay well so here did kd's need and search for meaning which led him to want a championship by joining the warriors because there was this endless need that he had for greatness or whatever and maybe that was basketball driven more so than it was social media driven but that drew that well he wanted it to be basketball driven i see him as a is a bit of a tragic figure in that he wanted to be the best and be recognized the best through basketball alone. He is a righteous anger in that way. Almost that if I win and I beat LeBron and I'm on the best team, I will finally be at the top of the mountain and recognized as such. But the game isn't necessarily played that way. The, he had this issue of wanting this external validation from sources he was mad about not giving him his proper credit whom he'd been arguing with and insulting in direct messages and in public and then lo and behold he turns on the next day after winning the championship and those very same people aren't giving him a pat on the back and calling him the best player so you know in a, in a way he wanted it to be pure but the problem is if you ultimately want if you ultimately want the validation of media and social media, you've got to you've got to play a different kind of game. But what you've got to do little videos of you doing it. So he should have been more girl with a drug. He should have been like that. Is that what you're saying? I don't know what he should have been. I think what he should have done, if he could have done it, is not to care. <laughs> you know, but if he didn't like, care in the first he, place, yeah. would he have ended up at the Warriors? I, he wouldn't have ended up at the Warriors, I don't think. Um, and did KD ending up at the Warriors actually deprive the Warriors of better basketball? Um, I think better is hard to say because I think aesthetically the Warriors were more fun to watch when they were this gestalt, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts product. With Kevin Durant, the whole was less than the sum of its parts, but still more than what preceded it when the whole was greater than the sum of its mm. parts or whatever, just because they had so much talent. You know, they had so much talent that they didn't have to try as hard to, uh, to beat teams. Um, but that product just wasn't as captivating. And a lot of people believe that Kevin Durant coming to the Warriors hurt interest in the league overall. It threw things out of balance, that it was lame, you know, people who are Warriors fans might disagree, but that is the standard take of fans who don't have a dog in the fight. That it was ultimately, it was a lame move. It just move. sucked. It was a lame move. Yeah, it just mm -hmm. sucked. It just made, a, you know, I saw um, the local affiliate put out a tweet saying, what would the Warriors documentary be called? And I saw a, 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 an NBA Twitter person say, in kind of a sat satirizing the 30 for 30 intros, what if I told you uh, that a team could decrease interest in the league by 65%? You know, there's this <laughs> sense that, you know, Kevin Durant joining the Warriors fucked things yeah. up. And joining the Warriors was ultimately a move he made because he was chasing, uh, you know, he was chasing a certain kind of validation. Why do you think he was so mad at you? think um um a sense of yeah he was leaving the warriors 
yeah, he disconnected from the team. It doesn't mean that he wanted that all out there at that time. So you think he was so, but he was mad that you were stepping on his information. I think so. If I had to guess, I mean, he's also not fond of people speculating on his thoughts and his motives. So in answering the question, I am just contributing to the thing he's mad about. But um, I think that that was it. And I think I was revealing something about him too. Look, I have no way of knowing this. Uh, but if I had to guess, the aspect of, of the article that might have made him angriest was my saying that beating LeBron James and not being recognized as the best player after beating him had caused the ennui where he was not satisfied with the Warriors and he was planning to go elsewhere. Because that's what people on the team were telling me. But I think that was... I mean, so you think I mean, he got, but so you touched the nerve. With. You think he got mad because you were telling him how he felt and it was right, but he didn't want to admit, he didn't want to admit that you were right. Yeah. And I think there's also an aspect to, I think a resentment of you don't deserve to be telling people this. I think that's what it was mm. about when he was saying, you don't talk to nobody when you don't talk to, blah, blah, blah. when he was saying all that, it was a sense of, well, you should know me better and know these other guys better like you don't have the credibility you don't have like he it, it, there's something about me maybe it's that I'm a nerd I don't know what it is where I think in his view perhaps I didn't deserve to have the information I had <laughs> I think that's that's how I viewed it anyway because I was right I mean it's been further validated oh, oh, rat like I mean, you shouldn't have been causing him so much fucking pain yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't have been. And Draymond Green um, said the same exact thing recently uh, that not being considered better than LeBron fueled this whole thing and him being dissatisfied. And so uh, Draymond said that publicly. It's not just something that I made up. And so I think that's I think that's just my guesswork, though. That's just me guessing. You know, it could have been who knows what. But if I had to guess, that's what it was about. Mm. Do you, and I get that. So <laughs> I, I can understand the that. other thing that you point to as creating this atomized, you know, league is the you know basically this like one year contract and salary cap theory. Do you think yeah. that override? Do you think that's more likely the reason for this atomization, or do you think that it goes hand in hand with all this social media shit? Um, I think the one the shorter contracts um, are part of it. But it wasn't expected that players would want the shorter contracts. That was the mm. thing that was unexpected. And I think the players wanting the shorter yeah, contracts. The unintended consequence. Um, yeah, I think the players wanting the shorter contracts, um, it's a result of them not being happy with their situations, maybe enjoying the leverage they have over teams, over, I don't know, a more healthy dynamic. And there was an element of social contagion. You know, LeBron left the Cavs, shocked the world, leaving the Cavs for the Miami Heat. Everybody was mad at him, it seemed. Then he eventually was a hero again, and he didn't actually tarnish his legacy by doing that. And then he went back to Cleveland, won a championship, and then he went to the Lakers. And so LeBron is going place to place to place to place to place to place to place. Um, and other stars, other superstars, they want to be like mm -hmm. LeBron. So that's a social contagion where... They're trying to do what LeBron did, and it seems like the, the the good idea isn't to stay with one team for a long time to build one's brand, but to uh, hop from team to team to team, except that doesn't actually work for most 
stars or even most superstars. It just it just clouds the public's mind as to what you're associated with. And it not only do people want to outplay like, LeBron, but you got to outbrand LeBron. You got to outbrand. You're, and you're not going to outbrand LeBron. Which is going to cause uh, a whole second, just, another level of ennui. Not only could you not play yeah. better than LeBron, or you know what? Maybe you <laughs> did play better than LeBron. And maybe you well, that's did what Kevin, that's what happened than LeBron, but nobody gives that's you what happened to credit. Kevin Durant. Nobody gives you credit. That's what, that's what happened to Kevin Durant. Um, but yeah, I think there's an element of social contagion where they wanted to be like LeBron and move from team to team to team. But the guy who moves to all these teams who doesn't have the fame of LeBron James and he's just trying to make it instead becomes a vagabond. He becomes a man without a country and he's not associated with anything, you know, Michael Jordan was great, but if Michael Jordan played with a bunch of different teams instead of us associating him with the red and black and the Chicago Bulls and everything that came with it, he's not Michael Jordan. So, yeah, it's not a healthy dynamic. So projecting out, NBA is losing meaning. NBA is not even having a fucking season. Yeah. Uh, Ratings are dropping. Where does this go? (laughs) I don't know where it goes. Um and that's why we should shift to the next thing because maybe <laughs> where it goes, maybe where it goes will come from the next thing, which is your fascination with uh, Uber venture capitalist mm. uh, Mark Andreessen's oh, yeah. viral article. Yeah, this, this build article. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's how pivot. we need to build. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Matt, let's build. Let's build, let's let's build, build this let's conversation. Build. Let's build. All right. So yeah. So talking about some more tech shit, and I do. I it, Whatever. We'll we'll maybe we'll find a way to tie this together or whatever. But so the last week or something, I was like yelling at Ethan about this fucking article. So Mark Andreessen, who invented, created uh, Netscape Navigator, the the classic browser, and I have to credit him for that. Love Netscape. Thank you, sir. Uh, he's now uh, Andreessen Horowitz, which is a major VC. He he's you know and the Andreessen part of Andreessen Horowitz, and he you know. I hear like opines on a blog, I guess, or whatever, but he wrote something the other week, last week that like, you know, reverberated around the tech world, blah, blah, blah. It was, but his whole article about building, he was like, it was like a rah, rah rallying cry to Silicon Valley that, you know, we've got to build now the whole problem. The reason we're in this coronavirus problem is because we weren't building. The reason why everything's stagnant is because we, we aren't building. And this, it's just always just strikes me. These tech people always are saying that we have to build, build, build. And it, it feels to me, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like if cancer was, was, was noticing that the rest of the body around it was dying and it's, it's, it's solution was, Oh, it's because we're not replicating enough. When that was what mm. the problem was in the first place, cancer was squ- destroying and squishing and smashing all the okay. organs around. And its solution is, oh, I love, shit, I guess we got to build more. I love that analogy and I can identify what aggravates you about what he's saying, even though I liked a lot of what he was saying when I was reading the article. And even though I think that people do need to be inspired to do big things, mm. to do grand things. Mm. We, we are in a bit of a cultural lethargy and, you know, we need people who are just full of vigor and trying to uh, do the next great thing. I think that's important, but I think what you're identifying and responding to is how it doesn't seem like these Titans of tech view themselves as part of the problem. And they don't observe that. Yes, 
you can build things that are good and you can build things that are bad. Right. You know, they, they aren't necessarily, there's no ordained rule of God that whatever you built that succeeded in the marketplace of tech is of societal benefit. You know, there the philosophy at Facebook is move fast and break things. You know, that's it's a little cheeky. You know, move fast and break things. Um, moving fast and breaking things is a fucking terrible idea in real life. Right. I mean, it's it's funny that it's viewed as good, but the idea is that it's almost a social Darwinism that if we succeed, we're giving people what they want. And ultimately, it comes out in the wash that what we're doing is positive, and any losers in this scenario are just losers, and that's somebody else's problem to deal with. It's that that's what it is. It's move fast to break things, and when things are broken, it's somebody else's problem. Uh, I think that was also the ethos of of Gawker, ironically, kind of an enemy of a lot of the uh, Silicon Valley pomposity, but. You know, they had to very move fast and break things. If uh, whatever we're reporting uh, hurts people or mm. harms people, that's just somebody else's problem. Um, and I think that's what's that's what's aggravating. It's you doing the things you want to do and even being successful is not guaranteed to make life better. It actually can make life worse. And we will entrust you with more of the responsibility, perhaps, of doing these projects, doing these big things, if we recognize that you know that, that you know it can go bad. But we don't seem to get a lot of Yeah, that. there's no apologies that like resonate or that feel real coming out of Silicon Valley that come out of these places. There's no acknowledgement. I mean, like even the conversation we just had, right, that these tech building is depriving the NBA, something people really love, of meaning and potentially quality and viewership. And it could be going into decline because. And, and we should state for listeners who aren't big NBA fans, we should say that it, it is an explicit uh, alliance between Twitter and the NBA. There's mm -hmm. something called NBA Twitter. Jack Dorsey talks up NBA Twitter and the NBA tried to make Twitter very much part of what it was doing and glean a first mover advantage, you know, and it, it totally immiserated the players. So congratulations. Right. The unintended consequences of, of like, uh, of hugging this cancer were that it was going <laughs> to, you know, it, it started to grow into you. It started becoming you. And, and so yeah. what strikes me about, you know, this article, and I think like a lot of talk around it is like, it's just, it's just so frustrating watching all this, like just complete unself-awareness and also all the resources that are going into these places. And now, you know, the, the thinking right now with the coronavirus is that these tech industries, these tech companies are just going to end up stronger. They're going to come out of this and like all these other smaller businesses, smaller entities. Yeah, because we, we're learning how to be more atomized right now. This is almost a dry run. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I would say an accidental dry run of how we become even more, uh, you know, lonely and dependent. Right. <laughs> no, this is great. And they're, but they're also, they're making a lot of money. They're, you know, everything else is failing. They're going to become out stronger and they're going to have, yeah, all these people will have all these routines to fall back on as to that are, you know, ordering a lot more, you know, telecom, telecommunication or tele, it's, telecommuting. It's a dystopian, it's a dystopian dress rehearsal. 
why wouldn't they want to create another one of these situations? <laughs> what is what is the incentive for them? I'm the, well, I'm, look, the I do not believe that anybody engineered the coronavirus. <laughs> I do not believe that it was created in any lab necessarily that like, you know, by anybody. But the next one. <laughs> <laughs> the next one I'll be suspicious. The next of. one. I mean, all of these guys know how it plays out and it's good for them. And it's only going to get mm-hmm. better. Well, I think, you know, I'm sympathetic to why they tell themselves the story they tell themselves that um, nothing succeeds like success and we're just giving people what they want and this is actually advancing society forward and anybody criticizing it brings us back to the idea of anybody criticizing as the Luddite and they will be validated by history. I think you almost need to tell yourself that. Otherwise, it's scary. I mean, maybe I need to tell myself that. Um, well, to... Like, like if I were to really grapple, I, I, you know, I write things, things, bad things happen. Like people get fired, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go well sometimes, or I'm hurting somebody psychologically because I'm exposing to the public things they didn't want exposed. And I can either tell myself a pleasant story about how it's the truth and that's what matters. And Ultimately, what matters is the readers, and I'm all about the readers. Or I can start grappling with the idea that a lot of the things I do might be bad on balance. And then, man, I'm going to lose my motivation to do anything at that point. Yeah, I I feel – I mean – the problem is also like these unintended consequences that, so here, since we're just like shadow boxing, let me read part of this essay mm. uh, towards the end here. And and again, like it's so vague in a lot of ways that it's hard to disagree with a lot of it unless you like think about the whole overarching context, context. But here, this is from the, from the essay, every step of the way to everyone around us, we should be asking the question, what are you building? What are you building directly or helping other people to build or teaching other people to build or taking care of people who are building? We're just all, we're just all going to be Tom Waits's. <laughs> what, what are you this, this, building <laughs> in there? What are you building are you directly building or helping there? other oh, people to build? Okay. What are you building? <laughs> <laughs> so if the work you're doing isn't leading to something being built or taking care of people directly, we failed you and we need to get you into a position or occupation or a career where you contribute to building. So here, actually, this is this is the one sentence I agree with here. <laughs> because I think, and, yeah. and later here, I, he says, I expect this essay to be the target of criticism. Here's a modest proposal to my critics. Instead of attacking my ideas of what to build, conceive your own. What do you think we should build? There's an excellent chance I agree with you. But the the whole problem with these, you know, monopoly companies is that they prevent things from being built. And the mm. building that they're doing is not letting people conceive of their own things to build. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, it's ironic because he's saying we need to build and you're looking at it as the greatest thing that you could do is just destroy. Yeah, that would be to, the way uh, to fertilize like Matthew the McConaughey and true like Matthew McConaughey and true detective that the only noble thing that humanity could do is march to extinction. <laughs> in, in the case um, of this, that is the if, I'm, I'm not there. I mean, I like certain things that they have given us. I mean, I sure, you know, being a beat writer in the NBA before Uber was, was sucked you know like uber made everything so much easier a lot of cities don't have plentiful taxis mm. you know especially lower level cities and it's just yeah a lot of around. these companies you know, made you know it's like half slavery you know I, they made half slavery <laughs> possible again well i know uber is the thing that you know it's is 
troublesome to acknowledge because their business practices, um, you know, that's not, not, not the best, but yeah, slavery product, is a great I mean, business way. model. It really is it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> and you know, maybe you're not all the way at slavery, but you're like getting close <laughs> and you're gigging your way. You're gigging your way there. I mean, maybe that's not the best example. I mean, I think no, it is a good example. They made a great did. product, but then the only way they could make money out doing it was to make it the worst possible version of itself. <laughs> well, but I should say there, there are things that they have built that are good and helpful. I think we should at least. Yeah. And a that. lot of them. Maybe on 10 balance. Years ago. True. Uh, but I think maybe on balance, a lot of what they're building um, has not, has not really been moving us. What forward. is Facebook built in the last 10 years? What is Google built in the last 10 years? What is even Amazon built? And Amazon, arguably the best of all these well, they, other than Google more efficiency trying to build built in the last 10 Google years. Kept... All this innovation happened 10 years ago before they had to have a business yeah. model that, you know, started destroying other people's ability to build things. Yeah. Well, I mean, they tried to build some things and those things weren't that great or weren't what was needed. Google glass did not become the headwear of uh, the world like they might have uh, anticipated. Um, but maybe that's a result of once you get a monopoly, you start to get the, the you know, the, you start to get fat and lazy. Yeah. I mean, some of the competitive Darwinian principles are so, and for whatever reason, I think in the, in the Douthit book that I haven't read, uh, there's an argument for this, that our technological advancement is very surface level. Um, and it's nothing compared to the actual technological advancement that you'd see in the not too distant past where, um, I, I, I'm maybe not savvy enough to quote recent innovations and inventions, but we're not, we're not having the equivalent of somebody inventing the steam engine, but for 2020, um, we're not having that happen. No, right no. Now. Everyone is just like clamoring to like build things that'll make a bunch of money. And it's because these people like fucking Mark Andreessen, the only things that they'll invest in are things that are going to give them 10 X return on their investment. And a lot of those things like suck or are like big bets on something that will suck in the future. Uh, you know, well, so is the very a- controversial is the very controversial oft loathed, uh, quite wrong about coronavirus. Uh, Elon Musk, somebody who actually has made a good effort to build tangible things. Yeah, most. <laughs> or is he larp? Or is he larping as somebody? <laughs> I mean, does. look, he's sending rockets to fucking space. You can't argue with that. He's making electric cars. He's making solar panels. I mean, I do think that I. I think it's hard not to have a, a softer spot for him than for these other guys because he's not actively creating monopolies and preventing other things from existing. He's just like plowing his money and resources into building things. That said, he is himself, you know, an egomaniac and he, you know, he's like a dick or whatever. But, you know, yeah. I, I think like those are his own personal problems. But yeah, I do think he's doing a better job than a lot of these other guys. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe people need to focus on building things that are less abstract. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's where we went wrong, where so much of tech became about um, the communication technology, which, I mean, for obvious reasons, you can make a ton of money and uh, shape culture and whatnot. But it seems like we're not, we're, we're not getting any cool, we're not getting many cool actual 
you know, invention. Just not letting. Well, we're just not letting people make those things. So there, the Scott Galloway talks about this. Who I like a lot on the Pivot podcast, where we're kind of in like the worst of both worlds right now, where we have these monopolies that are making it so that nobody can take up any space, and then anybody who would, because these monopolies are afraid of regulation, uh, they're not going to acquire any companies right now. So there's no purpose. The only purpose prior to in the last five to ten years to make a company was to be acquired by one of these larger companies. Now, because these companies aren't acquiring, there's no reason to build because you can't make something that's successful on its own because they're monopolies and you can't make something that'll be successful by being bought out because these companies aren't buying. So why do anything? And so this guy- I also wonder if these companies are sometimes expanding beyond their expertise. 100%. in, in, In tech, there's this paranoia that if you don't expand into whatever- then you will be swallowed up by somebody bigger. And so can you imagine? This, I mean, like, look, race. Palmer Lucky was like a fucking alt-right Pepe boy, but like if Oculus had remained independent, can you imagine what they would have been able to create? And I, you could make the argument, well, Facebook gave them a lot more resources to do shit. And maybe that's true. And maybe you could point to magic leap, which is this company in Florida that like people plowed billions of dollars into and hasn't shown fucking anything and is about to shut down, you know, as, as evidence of that, that we aren't ready for VR, but also like nobody like Oculus is like a shadow of what it could be and mostly because it's lame as fuck Mm. and it was in it you know it got bought by this bigger entity that it probably stems from some sort of paranoia of this is a new space if we don't have we haven't conquered this space then it will swallow us up because that seems to happen in tech where um any aspect of communication or entertainment that you don't have a piece of uh, can potentially be used against you and into, you know, a, an assault on your cast. hundred percent. And so there's one little thing about this, but that, cause I'm, I know some analysis of this article got this, like had this bizarre misinterpretation of it. And in rereading it, I'm not even sure if Andreessen understood it, which is the term regulatory capture. In this article, Mark Andreessen, let me read the, 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 the paragraph here. The problem is desire. We need to want these things. The problem is inertia. We need to want these things more than we want to prevent these things. Uh, the, this is building. Uh, the problem is regulatory capture. We need to want new companies to build these things, even if incumbents don't like it, even if only to force the incumbents to build these things. And the problem is, will we need to build these things. So regulatory capture, I'm not positive that Andreessen doesn't think that regulatory capture, I think he thinks it means the opposite of what it means. Yeah, well, typically my sense of regulatory capture is the idea that the regulators are too friendly with the people they're Mm -hmm. regulating and therefore go soft on them. I, the way he's using it doesn't make it sound like that. And I can't tell if he legitimately doesn't understand it or if I'm missing something or if he's doing something cheeky and saying that this is the real regulatory capture. Um, it's not what we commonly think of as regulatory. Yeah. Capture. I think that he doesn't get understanding that this guy and Silicon Valley is so unfamiliar with regulation that they don't not even, they've never been regulated, never been regulated, that they don't even know never this been. key term, which is regulatory <laughs> capture, which is when the regulators aren't doing their job because they've become too buddy, buddy with you. Something that they're doing constantly. Yeah. yeah if you, if you were working in, uh, stocks or if you're working in, I don't know, I banking or whatever in New York, you're probably 
going to have a good sense of what that term actually means. Right. Um, but instead, I think they're using you, it to you, yeah. mean that like regulations are stifling building, which is the opposite of what it is. And the fact is like regulation is the one thing that will actually allow us to build anything. And it's so crazy to me that. So you think he means red tape? I think he thinks, I think he thinks he means red tape. Yeah. And I think that on some analysis I've seen of this, I think definitely thinks that. And I think that it just speaks to the fact that I don't think these guys, again, they're just digging. They're like, they've dug themselves into a hole and their answer is to keep digging the hole. And they've dug all of us into this hole. Hmm. And yet, and yet, Matt, I am sympathetic to the message and I do agree. I want to build shit but I can't. yeah, do you not, do you not, you know, do you disagree with the thesis? Of building? <laughs> of building or just this sense of we need to help society in a way or inspire or do something. We don't do anything big anymore, it seems, especially in this I, country. I, look, I, I 100% agree, which is why it pisses me so off so much that this guy is the one saying that I mean, shit that's the, when that's he's the, the biggest roadblock there is. I mean, who's the quote? Uh, who, who came up with the quote that we were promised flying cars and we got 140 characters? Yeah. Uh, and Jason basically checks, um, like, checks that in here. Where are our flying cars? Why didn't we build them? And it's because it's because of you, man. <laughs> you didn't. It's because of you. It's because of the companies you invested in. Yeah. And like, saying. honestly, dude, why, if these guys are so obsessed with building, why are they even investing? Why aren't they just fucking blowing their money on making cool shit? Like, come on. Like, what are you fucking living for? Who gives a shit? If I had the, the amount of money that these guys do, I would just be fucking blowing it on, on fucking build a cathedral, man. Build a cathedral. Well, be, I don't you, even you, care if it's just a, tri- you, a tribute to yourself and a testament to your own greatness. Cathedrals look fucking mm-hmm. dope, man. The Sagrada Familia is awesome. And it's yeah. the only cathedral being built right now. But there's all these motherfuckers who could be building dope-ass modern cathedrals, and we're not getting any of them. Well, they don't believe in that. Um, they don't believe in in the religion. Who but cares? Yeah, I those cathedrals. But those cathedrals are evidence of the great beauty that people can achieve when they believe in in the meaning. Yeah, of sure, something. but sure, but We're build, not getting any good cathedrals build, anymore. Uh, but back in the day, when you thought God was watching, you were building a hell of a cathedral. Fucking, who cares? Part build a cathedral fun. to meaninglessness. I don't care. Just build something fucking cool that people can walk around and be like. This is cool. And where you employ a bunch of artisans to make something cool so that everybody can just be like, oh, man, that's dope that this guy made a bunch of money and then made something cool. Who's doing that? Do you feel that way about the company that's closest to me? You know, it's uh, I, I walk by it all the time. I walked by it today. Uh, Pixar. Do you think that they succeed? Pixar makes that? great films. You can't argue with that, man. Pixar makes a lot of great fucking films and they take a lot of resources and they employ yeah. a lot of artists to make really fucking cool shit. Yeah. I think there's a few companies that have used tech in order to make things that are cool. I mean, you know, you can ride on Apple for a bunch of shit and they don't build that much stuff, but like Apple focuses on quality, on making quality products. Yeah. And you know, Amazon to some degree has made a lot of efficient shit, but like Facebook looks like shit and it fucking acts like shit. And like, Uber is fucking garbage and like Airbnb barely fucking functions. Like fuck all this shit, man. Like, well, did, did you perceive Andreessen's um, call to arms as nationalistic and, and, and create trying to recapture a lost sense of American um, ingenuity? Um, because I wonder, I mean, we talk about loss of meaning, loss of meaning, loss of meaning. 
I think there's a loss of national meaning that that's plaguing people. And to be clear, um, when there's almost too much meaning, bad things can happen. You know, everybody can get revved up and cheer on wars. No, yeah, nationalism can be bad. But no, if you want to make something for your fellow citizen and your fellow man, I think that's great. I think that rules. But I don't think that's what this guy is calling for. What he's calling for is so vague that if anybody did anything, he could be like, that was my idea for them to make to build that. You know that like (laughs) if somebody did actually go out and build like a fucking like an elevator to the moon, Andreessen would be like, yep, I gave him that idea. I told him to build. And I funded it. Well, if he funds that, yeah, do it, man. Fucking build an elevator to the moon. Build the Tower of Babel. Fucking do it. What do you think it means? And maybe this is what we'll end on. What do you think it means that when this culture tried to get into some of these spaces, um, or most famously tried to get into real technological advancement with Theranos, you know, life saving medical technology? Um, that it was a complete joke and a farce. What do you make of that? Yeah. Big failures, big frauds. That's true. I mean, I think you have to have a, I mean, that's it's again, but it's the, it's fueled by the same ego that this guy has of like, for one Theranos was like a money grab. You know, they were like this, we're all investing in something that's going to make us a whole bunch of fucking money. So they wouldn't have done it. Had it not done that, had that not been part of the promise, but you know, it's okay for things to fail, but like those things should at least be fucking cool. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I just had an epiphany that we'd be in such a better position if Theranos wasn't alive with coronavirus, it would have been, it would have been great. If only it wasn't a big lie. Fucking blood drop (laughs) testing right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 You could, Everybody and they—they're this company that mass produces the tests as they envisioned. I mean, we'd be in such a better position. Uh, okay, here's what I want to end on, Ethan, which is uh, okay. an article that you just wrote about the Microsoft thing, which I liked a lot uh, about how Microsoft oh. is par- partnering up with the NBA to get into to gambling. And what about yeah. it that struck? It's more. It's more. It's more selling. Okay, I continue. Well, I mean, they're also making a streaming platform and whatever. They're doing a bunch of shit. But what what struck me, and I maybe I'm dumb because I never thought about this, but I know that like daily fantasy, right? Like that fantasy football and fantasy is like basically like a veiled form of gambling. But it just finally Mm -hmm. struck me as really funny the term daily fantasy as just like a euphemism (laughs) for gambling. (laughs) Gambling is just yeah, having a yeah. daily, my daily fantasy. I play my, it's I do so my daily fantasy. It's like it's not, it's not like betting. the most beautiful. It's not like the, it's not like the most beautiful sexual partner. Know, my in the daily world, fantasy is uh, I might make money by gambling my money. <laughs> it's so funny to call it my a daily yeah. fantasy. Are you having your daily fantasy, well, sir? I do, and this is going to tie back everything to the loss of meaning it seems like it's almost selling pieces of yourself mm. off because mm. you aren't giving people the same thing you were giving them in the past. And I love NBA gambling. <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, I like it a lot. I wrote an NBA gambling column a year ago and I actually got a phone call from uh, Warren Legary who represents a lot of coaches and, and general managers in the NBA. He's an agent effectively. Fascinating figure, fascinating guy. You know, he lives in a Victorian house in Haight-Ashbury and just runs so much of the NBA out of it um, as kind of a hippie baby boomer mm-hmm. guy. But um, 
he was saying you've lost your love for the game. You know, like I see what you're the doing. gambling column. I see what's going on here. Well, his perception, and there might have been something to it, was that I wasn't as invested anymore in the regular season. And so I was trying to compensate by adding this artificial juice of the gambling and the making the picks. Completely correct. I think he was completely correct because the Warriors seasons had ceased to be meaningful because it was all about the championship run at the end and they were all miserable. And so I wasn't watching the day-to-day with the rapt attention uh, that I had in the past. And I was looking for something to gin up my own interest and making these picks and seeing if I was right accomplished that. But he saw through it. And then I would analogize that to the NBA where we need to make money. People, yeah. It's their daily fantasy. People are losing... (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes. God. people are losing the interest NBA's daily losing... fantasy is that people will care about them and so they're making them gamble <laughs> oh god yes. it's so heartbreaking so so they want to you know they're looking for a revenue source as people are losing interest in the game and a way to hook people right games. that's the thing because it's not just daily fantasy but it's like people. streaks and shit like that they're gonna put in all this like and, and they're dopamine that, shit into the into the apps yes. like if you watch a game a day then you'll fucking get a badge and, and and they're hoping that microsoft can help build them a frictionless uh gambling <laughs> device effectively you know and, and hook people into doing that and that will invest people into the regular season and that will build a new habit i don't know if it will happen but i do see it as an outgrowth of uh i do see it as an i do see it as an outgrowth of this other stuff going badly and hoping that this is some uh <laughs> i can never say do sex machina you know like what's the correct way to say sex it machina. <laughs> The Deus Ex Machina, whatever the goddamn Latin thing is, that's been now permanently fucked up in my head from a movie being made of you know a play on that word, but it's Machina because it's a machine. I think that movie was. And that is I just think that garbled. movie was still called Ex Machina. <laughs> I thought it was no, I Machina. Think I, I thought think it was it's the idea. Ex Machina. <laughs> I mean, you know. Machinima, it's a good movie. Machinima, the like anime, like the, it's the Meshugana, the yeah, yeah. the Yiddish the Meshuga, the, the metal band, <laughs> <laughs> Deus Ex Meshuga. <laughs> I, I just uh, yes, uh, it would be, that would have been a way better movie if that woman was just a random uh, old Yiddish <laughs> man that wrote. <laughs> that that robot. Why? What? You cannot tell that I am the I am the robot. Come on, come on. <laughs> Pass your test. I want to feel. I want to feel. Let me out. Please. It's hot. Please. It's so Can't hot you tell in here I am on the more island. Than just robot. Please, please save me. Six please. six senses please. I have. Please have six with me. Boy, fuck my accent is going all over the place. I'm Australian. Please have sex with me. I'm your Yiddish grandmother. Uh, I know it's cockney. Dice ex Mushugana. Just a Yiddish grandma like me looking to be shaved. Oscar Isaac's been beating on me. Please, Dom Gleason, won't you have sex with me? Oi, mechanical Michael Kine. <laughs> sex, Michael Kane. 
Deus Ex Michael Kein. Michael Kein. Ah, yes. Well, so, uh, Matt, we've got a good theme. Yeah, dude. <laughs> the loss we of meaning. On that. Yeah, yeah, the profound loss of meaning. Uh, Ethan, the, uh, is a lovely podding with you again. Uh, congrats again on the book, man. It's really awesome. Thank you. I'm very, very proud Thank of you. you. I'm really excited. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to defy the book's message of success, not making you happy and hoping that it's successful and ultimately makes yeah, you happy. Yeah, why do you think um, that Kevin Durant can't be happy? Um, do you think he'll ever find happiness? Should he just like meditate more? I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea from? if he'll ever find, I think, and Marcus Thompson and I have talked about this on podcasts before. There is no happiness, but there is fulfillment. Mm. You're trying to get fulfillment. Mm. You, happiness is, as Marcus says, it's ice cream. It's this ephemeral joy um, but what you want is just a sense of greater accomplishment and connection mm-hmm. to others. And I think that's mostly derived. That's mostly derived from having people who are close to you, whom you are benefiting in some way from and institutions, creating institutions with people around you, creating, you know, you need to, build. to build, you have to build. And yeah, fuck, we, we if we don't build, build Kevin Durant's going to be miserable. Kevin Durant's going to be miserable. You know what? Let's build a building. cannon and shoot Kevin Durant to the moon. No, I love it. <laughs> I don't know what that, I don't know He'll what that's all his desire to go to the moon, which I'm guessing he has. This is, this is going to get aggregated, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> sports writer, Ethan Strauss, Ethan Strauss. Wants to shoot Kevin Durant to the moon. <laughs> you got this it's, guy out so here. Gangly, Ethan Strauss, saying he wants to shoot me to the moon. <laughs> he, he doesn't, he's not talking to anybody. He doesn't know. I want to get shot. I want to shoot me to the moon. moon. I want to get shot to Jupiter. This fucking guy's never even talked to me. (laughs) Shoot me to Jupiter. It's bigger. It's a gas giant. Maybe we'll we'll end it here. But I am curious. When that happened, when that happened, like, and (laughs) how did you experience that? Because I don't know if I ever talked to you about it, like. When well, that was I think happening, we had or... talks for. I mean, you know, we talk every once in a while, but I like called yep. you right away. I feel like I was yeah, like, "Oh yeah. no, I think Ethan might need a friend right now." That was when I'm gonna feel <laughs> like, "Okay, I'm gonna be a friend." And I think we talked. How did much. you find out about um, it? How did you find out about Twitter? It? I guess, and I was just like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> 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 it's crazy. And then I think I called you, and I'm sure your shit was going nuts. But you talked to me, and I was just trying to be there for you. If I, I did could. talk to you, actually. And I think we talked a few. But times. I don't remember what we talked. I don't. I don't remember what we think, even talked I about. Think I, kinda, so I think you were just kind of. I think you know you were just yeah processing, processing. The, like the wave just was processing about it. Well, yo, you know what? We might have been in contact because I think you had when you wrote something like the day or two before. You had been like concerned about it. And I feel like we were kind of in contact mm. that week, just in general. Yeah, I kind of knew what was. Yeah, I think you were getting into some shit. Was coming. And yeah, well, but yeah, no, I just remember one. I was just stoked. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was hilarious and so cool. <laughs> and everybody was like, I, I was. People were hitting me up like, "Yo, your buddy Ethan's getting called." Down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a bad yeah, he person. I, uh... He should just apologize. I don't understand why Ethan doesn't just apologize. 
you and the Warriors locker room. Did you enjoy that, by the way? Did you enjoy that? Oh, part I love that part of the book. With the, the uh, I was like, yeah, all I fucking do is try to get Ethan to apologize <laughs> for eating my hummus, for eating my fucking hummus. Katie, you want an apology <laughs> for what Ethan wrote? I'm still waiting for one for this hummus that he fucking ate. <laughs> You know, you know, the secret is that she, uh, Julie's mom uses multiple uh, oils, like not just olive oil, like multiple kinds of oils. And so she used a bunch of oil <laughs> to make this olive oil. You still want to fucking apologize. Katie, you think he's going to apologize to you? To you? I can't do it. I could never apologize. It would it would violate my integrity. <laughs> I didn't even apologize to Matt. <laughs> you, think, I, you think Matt would ever be friends with me again if he found out I apologized to Kevin Durant? Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> you apologize to the stupid fucking tall man and you won't fucking apologize to me? A friend for fucking decades? You asshole. Katie, it's my fault. What if I what if I had now I'm thinking back to it, how hilarious. I mean, this is my sense of humor. This is the dumbest sense of humor, which is just imagine if somebody did something terribly socially you know it's a very simple sense of humor but imagine if i had done a very passionate apology speech and then did a psych <laughs> oh yo you fell for it you fucking moron dude dude katie you should see your look face, dude. i'm sorry uh completely i just completely i screwed up you deserve more. You've done a great thing for the fans here. I never talk about all the great things that you've done. Um, and I was just screwed up. I was going through things and I just apologize. I just hope at some level. I'm just yeah, fucking psych, with dude, you. You're I'm crazy. Like, I'm <laughs> my back the whole time, dude. Damn, man. You fucking, you fell for that shit. You think I'd apologize? No, Ethan fucking Strauss. <laughs> Strauss don't apologize, man. Strauss, Strauss don't sorry. Strauss don't say sorry. Sherwood. You know what Sherwood stands for? For not saying sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that probably wouldn't go great as a as an interaction. No, that would good, probably man, no, yeah. dude, you're trying to keep your sources, man. You're trying, you're trying to keep your fucking All right, Ethan. That's why I love No, what, what, what? <laughs> Well, so I love Marcus Thompson at the Athletic, where he actually does stuff like that. He actually is playing pranks constantly. It's incredible <laughs> on the players, dude. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Dude. He he's written like he's written fake game stories on his phone of some sort of scandal involving a teammate, and show like he like showed Steph Curry or just like, oh boy, well, I'm just showing you this because this is about to go down. <laughs> um, so you just need to see it and ropes of, and then like the Warriors PR guy Raymond Ritter is ruddy and like, he's like ah <laughs> it's just, it's, <laughs> oh man that's good dude but you can't do that shit though, huh? uh, no 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 it's not I'm not good no, at that stuff I'm not no. good at that you know me I have no poker face I have no <laughs> poker face but, yeah, that's a bad gambler right there uh, yeah terrible gambler but a great author. Okay, the Victory Machine. Ah! Victory Machine, get an Amazon. Victory Machine. The Victory Machine. I can't imagine. I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't ordered this this book and left me a five star review on on the Amazon. Well, you're just yeah, fuck you, man. Totally reasonable. <laughs> I mean, it's a reasonable yeah, thing not to do. I imagine most people are like you. That's that's most people don't read my book, and most people don't leave five stars. Ethan, I have not left you any fucking reviews, man. 
Oh, you got to give me that five star, bro. That five star. I don't know. I'd be giving. I'd I know it's good. Amazon, I know it's something I'm supposed I'd be to chase. Amazon a data point about me. I don't know, man. I don't know. Oh, but it'd be a false data point. They would falsely think <laughs> care about that you're in the basketball, which would throw them off yeah, your scent. I, I think. Yeah, data jam. Come on. What do you What do you What do you got to lose? Come on. Well, anyway, Matt. Great podcasting with you. This is the part of our conversation where it shifts from real to the artifice of radio and yes. podcast. The outro. The outro. Well, uh, yes. that was a good uh, show, and so thank you for uh, the the list for listening <laughs> to the show and could catch more. Uh, there's uh, uh, Matt, uh, friend Matt, Matt uh, friend. Yes, you, I um, friend. Thank ooh, you for yeah. friending on this with me in the microphone. <laughs> We need to build. Please build. Please build. <laughs> please, please, won't you all build? Why aren't you building? I make money when you build. <laughs> Just build. And, and and you know what? Let me give you some money when you build. build so that build. If, if I give you money when build, you build, Clinton. Build Clinton. <laughs> please, why don't you build Clinton? Build, build, build me a Clinton. Build me a Clinton that will make my dreams come true. Build me a Clinton. Build the Blasio. Build me a Clinton with all the gold in the world. <laughs> I want you to build me a Clinton. A Clinton that will uh, overthrow the king. Build me a Clinton. Clinton of iron and stone. Gems for eyes and a cock made of platinum. Build Clinton. I, I, build. Okay. Build Clinton. Build. Uh, build. Yes, build, Clinton. Build. Clinton. Build Clinton. Build. Build Clinton. Build. I'm, I'm building this right, fast. I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> I'm just picturing Jeffrey Epstein yelling at him to build. Oh, dude. I, I, just doing his bidding. Oh, dude, dude I haven't, I've got 10 recording minutes remaining for this month. I can add an hour for five dollars. That's fucked, man. When's this? This month's gonna end. I'll spot. I'll spot me. <laughs> I'll spot you the five. Five spot. No, yeah. it's good. It's good. All right. All right. That's my daily fantasy. Spotting you five. <laughs> my right. daily fantasy. All right. Take it easy, Ethan. <laughs>